1: Greetings to everyone around the world, and I want to welcome to another edition of Veritas, Alternative Media for Discerning Minds. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members for your loyalty and support. Tonight's special guest will reawaken your memory and present concepts and ideas that stimulate thought and revives empowerment. She will present clarity, insight, and definition to a word now commonly used, the matrix. Tonight's show is about becoming sovereign and will take you in a journey into unlimited possibilities. Tonight's special guest is Sonia Barrett, who will be with us shortly. Last week, I posted a preview of a talk I conducted in Tucson, Arizona on March the 5th. Part one of three has now been posted on Veritas TV. Parts 2 and 3 will be posted in the next few days. Aside from my history channel appearance, this is probably the first time you've ever seen me on video. I take you all the way to the beginning of my journey and then discuss a multitude of topics that matter to all of us. I had a great time and I hope you enjoy it. To listen to tonight's full show and the new material on Veritas TV, become a member. You'll receive instant access to all our inventory. And remember, Veritas survives on your voluntary subscriptions only. Think about the next time you spend $7.95. Do you get any value? That is what you pay per month as a Veritas member. And you get over 120 shows, all in CD audio quality. Veritas TV, our very unique Manticore forum, where you can interact with people around the world to discuss everything that matters, and more. Just go to the subscribe link of our website, VeritasShow.com, and take Veritas with you. You can also download our latest show via iTunes. During these days of uncertainty, being informed is priceless. $7.95 per month can definitely change your life. You can also purchase our futuristic 8GB metal-cased USB drive with seasons 1 or 2 with bonus material. Go to the Veritas store for more information. And don't forget, get your MMS right from us. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. This is now week two of Japan's most powerful disaster since World War II. Before I get into the news updates, I've received a lot of requests from people around the world asking me to take three minutes of silence. Please join me in prayers for many needed miracles to secure the safety and protection of everyone in Japan and humanity, all life forms on our planet, Mother Earth. Don't give up. Keep going. In speaking to some of my Japanese friends who reside outside Japan, they tell me that people in Japan need to watch international news. Information is vital. Apparently, information in Japan is not being disseminated by the mainstream media there. One thing is to spread fear, and another is to say that everything is just fine. To find that balance, use discernment. Don't live in fear, live in awareness. To live in awareness, you need to be informed. Something else I learned. Since the 1960s, the Japanese government has known that a combination earthquake tsunami would be imminent. It was not a matter of if, but when. 80% of Japan is composed of mountains. 20% is flatland. And that flatland is right on the coast, which is where the majority of the population lives. This leaves them vulnerable to this type of disaster, as evidenced by this catastrophe. Not to mention the buildup of nuclear power plants where a tsunami has and will hit again. Because of all of this, in the 1960s, proposals were made to relocate the capital, Tokyo, to the countryside. Since they know the entire country functions from Tokyo This is similar to what we hear in the United States of the possibility of relocating our capital from Washington D.C. to Denver, Colorado. The Japanese people are resilient and will rise once again. You don't see crime or looting taking place, which is to be admired. Now, let me take a moment to discuss some of the health news I have been able to gather. According to many government sources, the radiation plume may be approaching Hawaii, Alaska, Western Canada, and the United States. It has already been detected in Southern California, although no health risks are being reported. Fallout will descend upon North America sometime around March 22nd. According to Steve Huffman from Compass Natural, he recommends kelp, chlorella, spirulina, green foods, selenium, and lots of dark green leafy vegetables to help counter the effects of radioactive fallout. Known herbalist Bridget Mars from BridgetMars.com provided some recommendations on her Facebook page as follows. Buckwheat and brown rice. Seaweeds rich in iodine and microminerals such as hisiki found in macrobiotic or Asian food sections. Wheatgrass and barley grass. Sulfur rich vegetables including broccoli, cabbage and mustard greens. High pectin foods including carrots, sunflower seeds and apples liver-cleansing foods, such as artichokes, beets, and radishes, fermented foods, such as miso and unpasteurized sauerkraut, nutritional yeast, garlic, burdock, milk thistle seeds, nettles, yellow dock, echinacea, green and black tea, vitamins A, beta-carotene, B-complex and C, and zinc, calcium and magnesium. And if you are buying potassium iodate, make sure you read the warnings. This is not recommended for people over the age of 40. There is price gouging taking place. I will start selling it only if the two following conditions are met. 1. If the radiation is serious enough and people would really benefit from using it. and 2. If the price was the same as it was before the earthquake. I understand the price may go up as manufacturers may experience price hikes due to demand, but I will not be part of any price gouging. The last thing I want is for anyone to be taken advantage of and maybe use a product that may be more detrimental to their health than the actual culprit. I may still sell it, but I'm not there yet. I know there is a survival industry, but I don't want to be any part in disaster capitalism. At the time this audio was recorded, in the afternoon of Friday, March the 19th, 2011, I received the following headline. Japan's nuclear energy chief finally admits that the radiation leak is serious enough to kill people. Hopefully, they will do whatever is necessary to contain this disaster. An earthquake, a tsunami, and now, a possible radioactive fallout. I wish everyone in Japan all the best. Again, Akira Metsuni, gamba de Don't give up. Keep going. And just as I was about to wrap up this news section, I received a few emails with the following headline. A major earthquake in North America is imminent. Geologist Jim Berkland, who predicted the 1989 San Francisco earthquake, is now saying that the month of March is a particular concern to him about earthquakes in the United States, he says we have a full moon today, March the 19th, a supermoon, and it's the closest the moon will be to Earth until the year 2016. And the next day is the equinoctial tide, the first day of spring, bringing together three of the maximum tide-raising forces. There is water racing tide, earth tide, and underground water tide. These release sudden strain and can cause earthquakes. He says the seismic window, is developing between the 19th and the 26th of March. The animal die-offs is an indicator of a magnetic field change, and this usually precedes larger earthquakes. Most animals have the mineral magnetite in their bodies, including people. It allows birds to find home, but just before earthquakes hit, they get lost, because there's a delay factor. Just before the 1989 San Francisco earthquake, There was a very unusual beaching of whales in the beaches of San Francisco. That kind of beaching had never occurred before, nor since. It's happening again now. Jim Berkland's track record compels us to watch this seismic window very closely. And if you need to get in touch with me, click on the contact button of our website and join me on Facebook. And now, get ready. For a show that will hack your mind Did you know That our reality Is not only a virtual reality But ultimately a game Does humanity exist Under a programming of subservience To those who have appointed themselves caretakers Where man is enslaved And imprisoned emotionally Spiritually and physically Are we living in the land of Oz For answers to these And many more questions And to help us break through This veil and matrix Sonia Barrett is coming up next this is Malfamburgus and you're listening to Veritas don't go anywhere This is Neil Kramer, and you are listening to The Veritas Show. Sonia Barrett is globally recognized for her unique, in-depth and humorous style of explaining the nature of reality as not only a virtual reality, but ultimately a game. In 1992, a newly divorced single mother of two sons, Sonia Barrett set out to prove her own influence on physical reality amidst the difficulties and struggles. She was determined to triumph in consciously fusing mind and matter. Against all odds, she proclaimed a movement upon herself, without books or gurus to guide her, with only determination as a resource. Sonia Barrett would eventually, quote-unquote, penetrate the matrix, as had been her desired and ultimate goal. She became her own experiment, and the results later became the book The Holographic Canvas, The Fusing of Mind and Matter, published in 2008 and soon to be published in March of 2011, The Cosmic Game in 3D, Mastering Reality, Mastering the Matrix of the Mind. With the publishing of The Holographic Canvas, Sonia found herself at the other end of her many years of silent learning. Sonia is the host, producer, and founder of Sovereign Mind Radio, at SovereignMindRadio.com, and the founder and publisher of Sovereign Mind Magazine at SovereignMindMagazine.com. Her third book, Becoming More Than Human, Going Beyond the Laws of Physics in Human Potential, is scheduled for release this coming fall. And directly from North Hollywood, California, I'm delighted to introduce Sonia Barrett. Hello, Sonia. Welcome to Veritas. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited about being here. I I love your energy uh, already. So, yes, this is great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure. And, and as I was telling you offline and some of the people that uh, know that you're going to be on the show, I am so disappointed that I haven't found you earlier because after reading your book in the last few days, I just absolutely loved it. And and, and I'm so excited for the listeners who are going to spend the next two hours with us learning. And it's like uh, some of the people I know, it's going to be our mind is going to turn into a pretzel. It's going to be mind-bending. So, but first... You're scaring I, me. It seems that you and I have a similar background. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure people want to hear your, your take on, uh, on the time when you started realizing that things were not as, as you thought they were. Tell us your story first.
0: Well... Uh, you know, in the very beginning, um, there's two different levels to me uh, figuring out or realizing that things weren't as I thought. You know, from childhood, I I had that sense, but my sense then covered other things like, you know, believe it or not, the questioning of, of death because everybody seemed to be okay with it and nobody <laughs> seemed to have anything, any questions about it. And it just seemed very weird to me. So mm-hmm. on that level, as a child, I was really curious, and as to why this God was so—you um, have to fear him and the destruction—and so that kind of didn't fit well with me as a as a child. So at that point, I knew there was something a little off. That yeah, you're little—you're four or five years old. You know, what, what are you going to research? So <laughs> later on, as I went on in, in life, it, you know, I was still very much in that curious zone—teenage years. You know, reading about um, some of Ed- Edgar Casey stuff and the Bermuda Triangle stuff, just curious. Then I would say, then I would jump forward now um, to the, to the divorce. Now that's where everything really kicked in for me because I still didn't really know that there was something per se, you know, so so veiled. I, I didn't know the extent of this veiling. What I did have, though, was a desire to understand more about life, this thing that we call life. It's just the the bizarreness of this this whole process, and 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 my own experience in this marriage, and you know, just just everything that had happened to me. And I needed to understand what was this thing that I was living that we call life. That was the first thing for me. I also had a sense that there was a way to know. Um, that far exceeded anything that you know somebody else probably wrote, I just felt there was a way that we could tap into information. I had no idea what kind to what extent this information uh, would be. I just knew there was a way so that was the first that was that was really the kickoff and a determination. Now, I will say that there was one thing that I, I did look at, because at one point I did pick up the Bible again, and I was thinking, okay, what is it that everybody is always talking about? you got to read the Bible. Read the Bible. And I grew up in the church. So I started to, I, I looked at the Bible, I I marked some scriptures, and as a matter of fact, I still have the Bible with all the markings in it, and I started to kind of look beyond, you know, just the words. And I thought, okay. One thing that 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 always stood out to me. There were other many things, but the one thing that stood out to me and I've always said when I do other interviews, it didn't it wasn't a matter for me whether Jesus existed or not. At that point it wasn't really a question in my mind, but what stood out for me in the Bible was the fact that here was a this this story of this individual and and in the story he kept saying greater works than you shall ye do and I'm reading and I'm hearing from childhood about all these things this man, this individual supposedly did. So in my mind back then, I'm thinking, well, why can't I do that too? Whatever it is, what would stop me from being able to be that and do that? That's really how I was thinking. So I set out on a mission to somehow be this greater work than uh, thing that I had heard about, whatever that meant. And I did not know how to meditate, and I always like to express that because I had no ideas. It's not like I would go to a class or anything like that. I wasn't even thinking that anything like that existed. Um, all we knew was, was prayer. You know, you're coming from the church. That's what you knew. You, you, you pray. So I... Decided to learn how to do something else, and I just was very diligent at trying to understand this this meditation thing. And finally, I broke through some an experience in me while sitting on the floor um, and and breathing, and just an amazing, profound uh, energy experience came over me. And and the next thing I know, I'm my hands are moving, and I am sensing. I'm I'm just sensing a completely different vibration. Vib. I should should say the vibration then in my in my body and and the space that I was in in, in the room. Meaning the whole physical experience, not just the room, but the whole physical experience felt different, and I felt myself being extended, extending into um, another vibrational space outside of just the third-dimensional um, vibration that we would normally feel. I didn't understand it then necessarily why the hand movement and all of that, and of course now I understand. I welled up with this energy, and the body has a, a challenge with accommodating um, Certain levels um, of of consciousness, certain certain vibrational levels of consciousness, as the brain shifts into that that space, the the body is so used to operating in this Hertz field, in in this radio wave kind of frequency, that it was a way of me being able to handle that kind of energy. Now that's of course what I now understand because I understand so much more than I did then. But that was in a nutshell. The kickoff, and I just acted like a child in a candy store, and I went at this every day. I mean, I just I started to master this because it's and it I wasn't able to get back to that space. Um, probably I don't know. It could have taken me another couple of days. Could have taken me a week. I don't remember. But I was very diligent at getting into that space until I started writing and information started coming. I didn't know anything about quantum physics didn't even embrace the word quantum physics but i was writing things that were coming to me in that um in that manner and um i started to trust what i was writing as i would then be sort of guided to things information um it could be an article it could be going by a store and something jumps out at me things that would somehow begin to confirm that what I was understanding was there was a science to it, and that this was very valid, and I started trusting that. And then over the years, I moved into a whole a, a different space where I, I no longer had to sit and do that to harness that. I had learned how to that I, I could be there all the time and still be here doing what I was doing, and that everybody had that same ability to. Take their focus off of just being in that third dimensional space, but how to embrace more of the allness um that exists
1: it's almost like a, a radio station you don't yeah. listen to all the radio stations unless mm-hmm. you're tuning to them. is that what you did
0: yeah it's it's you know it's the same thing and that's what I do say It's like tapping into various bandwidths i mean and you know because we're dealing with frequencies there's so many that's all it is everything is a frequency pattern, and you have all these various um different levels and you know the the brain is is amazing as to the fact that you know it's it's already tapped into every potential that exists but our focus um might be on one particular reality and and that might be this reality as we know this reality to be that we're very familiar with and that's what we call the third dimension or just the you know re, um the radio wave or Hertz field um, existence. That's typically what we're uh, focusing on, just the, the physical as we know the physical to be.
1: For the listeners who may not be familiar with your work, so that you know, folks, I'm going to try to focus on the first book today, The Holographic Canvas. Sonia has a couple of books coming out uh, this year, one in March And uh, hopefully we'll have her back in the future to discuss the rest. But I think this is a great foundation. That's why I wanted her to tell us what happened. First of all, you mentioned how we are like a computer program, expected to behave a certain way. For example, we meet someone, the first question we ask is, what do you do? We seem to want to categorize people so that we know if we'll be worshiping them or they'll be worshiping us. I think you're absolutely right. Tell us more about this. It's part of the programming, isn't it?
0: yeah it is it's 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 definitely true. Um that was one thing now those things I started to really hone in on even more um as time went on, in terms of the fact that we, as a species as a group, we tend to we operate based on a set of programs, meaning a set of conditions that um, we collectively have agreed on that this is how reality looks, this is how reality will work, and it's like a set of programs that we we operate within the the confines of that. And so you don't realize that that's what you're doing, but the body is really designed to operate um, on on these automatic, sort of automatic programs. And let's face it, what happens is the spiritual, as we would call it, the spiritual aspect or the more expansive part of us, we tend not to be so connected with that. The fact that it it is always connected, but we tend to be focused more on the third-dimensional self and the needs of the third-dimensional self, and the the third-dimensional self is responding to the programs that the third-dimensional self things that it needs to operate by and those can include what we look at as the social conditioning we look at the obviously the systems um programming we can look at what we define as the laws of physics um you know we everybody knows that you can't do certain things because the laws of physics say that we can't op- we can't do these certain things the environment is designed a certain way to accommodate Um, this third-dimensional experience. And so we are responding according to the limitations of the environment. So everything, there's this feedback between us and the environment. So everything is sort of operating off of a, a specific set of programs to allow a specific kind of experience. I went on later to start realizing that, well, maybe this is what we would call a stage one human experience stage 1 human experience meaning that it's an experience of the ultimate limitation that you could experience as a human being let's face it that's that's basically how we operate everything is done in from a perspective of absolute limitation the beauty of that however is when we become aware of that and we start lifting ourselves, we start shifting, which is why you do the show that you do, and I'm talking and saying the things I'm saying to you and the audience that you are in that space, is because there's something in us that is ready to override those base restrictive programs and become more than we are. So I see this as a level one, and level one is based on um, those sets of of programs and conditions. Now, the one other thing I want to throw in about that is this We also need to recognize that what we do is we have a library. In fact, the brain is there's a library of acceptable things, of acceptabilities, those things that we can accept as a reality. Uh, Just as we all agree, we know what a tree looks like. We know what a chair looks like. You know, we know what a building looks like. We collect, we have a library of Um, things that we will accept as part of our reality. And so what happens is the brain filters, and it only shows us those things that we um, have all collected in that library of things that we will accept as a possibility. And that runs through everything that we do. So we have a library. Collectively, this is what we agree on in terms of what reality will look like, and we operate from that space. And in that library, yes, it's, it's a lot of programmed um, acceptabilities. It's programmed into us, programmed into our genetics, just programmed into, into us as a um, species, the, the human race. And so I saw where we can begin to override the programming of that limited uh, collection of things that we will accept, and that's where perception comes in. So you, have to, you know, that's where we start looking at widening our perceptions so that the brain will allow us to see more and not have to filter according to what the brain knows our perception basis, our limitation, our boundaries are of our perceptions.
1: Right. And in your book, you say that we have been living in the land of Oz. I think you're absolutely right, but you say that once the curtain is pulled back, we'll realize we have been living both backstage and on stage. Please explain
0: yeah we're we're both we are creating this, and we are having the experience we're we're on stage doing the performances and we are also uh backstage you know putting up the sets and everything. <laughs> this is what is so funny about it. We believe wholeheartedly in our characters in what we identify ourselves to be, which is why when you mention. When we ask people, you know, what what they do, um, you you need you need a category to place everybody in. Okay, well, you do. You're a doctor. You're a bus driver. You are a whatever. So we believe that we're these characters. Um, But at the same time, on the in the bigger stage, and you know, on the the deeper end of all of this, beyond these physical bodies, we are the ones that are creating the experience for ourselves, this is what we've agreed that we want to be part of. We want to experience it. So we are structuring what we're going to experience in, in what we call uh, reality. But once you're in the the physical world, as we know the physical world to be in this density, you don't remember that. So all you remember is being... The character that you think that you are—that everything that you, you you've constructed to identify yourself—from from you know your your job to your religion to your you know whatever your beliefs are to everything—all of those things—is what shapes the character that we will play. And then other people that we see, other people that um, come into our space, be, simply become part of uh, the the script that is needed for you to ha- fulfill that uh, character or that, that uh, role or that play that you have of what reality is going to be for you. And so we're all just playing these characters for each other so that we can each have the experience. So I don't see the human experience as something that we should be upset with when we come to grips with the limitations by which we've been living. I don't see that. I see it as a beautiful experience. How amazing is that, that we don't remember exactly how profound and how expansive we are? How amazing is that, that we're able to actually create that illusion for ourselves to come and have this very limiting experience and then somehow stir ourselves Back into memory that that's all it is, and begin to go through the process of lifting ourselves um, out of it. You know, going beyond it into another level. You're only going to another level of um, of experience, not necessarily this level anymore. You're going to you have the opportunity, I should say, to keep stepping up to various levels. It's an endless process. There is no getting there. It's an endless process of experience. The experience is just going to happen um, in 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 different ways. You're experiencing different realms as you as you go along. So I like to point that out so people don't um, feel regret. And you know, I don't think we should feel that. I think we have to see that everything that we've ever done has led us to this moment, and that's how you take the gift. From The limitations that you've experienced because they happened for a reason and they provided us with something. And if we don't do that, then it's as if it was all in vain. But but everything gifts us with something.
1: And it's a journey, not a destination. And also two words that keep jumping at me all the time about the way we live. Limitation and fear. Those oh, are two yeah. things that we need to remove. But you say that humanity is being steered to the next level of evolution. I think you mean uh, 2012. We are literally going back to the future. What does it mean to return to the future?
0: Well, you know, as I said, I, when I, I wrote that, geez, when I wrote it, I said since that time, I guess I've even come into an even more expansive understanding of some of that. Yes, I think I was referring to 2012 at the time, um, with that opportunity for the individual that is in that state of readiness to um, step into a greater greater level of expansion, however, I now realize also that it doesn't mean that everybody is necessarily going to go into this same major shift because we are all here on these these unique journeys, even though we are one collectively, we each still represent um, that individual aspect of the one, which means there is uniqueness and there is some specifics to each person's journey here but it 's an opportunity now does that opportunity exist outside of two thousand and twelve absolutely I, I I have to say that because we as a as a, um as a species we, we're, we're very habitual, we're very pattern-driven, and, um, yeah, and we're very group-driven. So what I've come to understand is that the individual has an opportunity always, in any given moment, to expand as much as the individual will allow themselves to expand. However, 2012 is a major shifts let's say in, in, you know, it's the end of a cycle because it's what we deal with, there's lots of cycles it's the end of a major cycle and energetically it will create shifts in the consciousness of the planet and again that's according to where we are, where each person is if you examine things you will see well Sonia is not making that up because as much as we would like to believe that the, everybody will come into this In amazing awareness, you go and you try talking to someone about some of these things, somebody that is absolutely not there, absolutely not ready to hear that. It doesn't matter how you explain it, how you try to convince that person, they cannot hear you. And we think it's just because they don't, you know, they don't want to. They don't, they're not hearing you. They're, what The words coming out of your mouth are a completely different frequency from what you think you're saying. They're interpreting it as something completely different because it what? It opposes their program. Their right. program is not necessarily um, associated with that level of expansion. And I think that's something that we have to own and be okay with. It. We have to be okay with that. It doesn't mean that we have to transcend as a group per se. It doesn't mean that. It means once again, since the individual is an aspect of the whole, the individual has an opportunity and an obligation to his him or, or herself to make that transition on your own. The only person that can unlock you is you. You're the only person that can unlock you. It doesn't matter what anybody says you have to unlock you what you get are a set of triggers, things that trigger that possibility if you are in space and part and that is part of your journey in this time is to be part of um, that uh, you know level of of potential um, shift and so I like to make that clear because we go into the group mind and we limit ourselves to a group mind thinking, thinking we can't do this unless everybody does, and that's not true. Otherwise, we wouldn't have stories of some of these um, beings that have been here, like, you know, Buddha or, or Yeshua. Whether we believe these stories or not doesn't matter. The point is that they came into being from somewhere, and these, these beings did not wait on a group to shift, and there are many others that we heard of. So we have to look at that. We, we don't have to wait on a group. We uh, individually are the one. We represent the one because individualism is an illusion to begin with. So as individuals, as we appear to be individuals, we represent the whole. So that's why it's significant for you as an individual to focus on the transition in your own life, on the shift that's taking place in your own life. And that's the greatest gift that we can give to the overall um, expansion Um, of the whole is for the individual to actually work on their own transition because that sends a ripple
1: and I gotta tell you Sonia I love the way you write it's almost poetic listen to this folks quote we are one we are one mind being expressed through many minds we are being reminded that we have been existing in clay customs and performing in our various roles all occurring under the illusion of limitation 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 walls, barriers, shackles, whatever you want to call it. How can we snap of that illusion of limitation, uh, Sonia?
0: Well, I, I think the first thing that I always say is it's very important for us to come, be true to ourselves as to where we are right now in our lives. And we have to take an honest look at ourselves in that sense. We have to take a look at our belief system. That is the most significant part of it because it's our belief systems uh, from which, you know, our perception is being launched. And so if the perception, if your perception base, if your belief system is limited and you've confined creation to be a set of, of conditions, you've, you've, you've put creation in these boundaries, this is, all, this is what creation is, this is all that it can be, then that's all that you will be. And, and that I think that's a very important aspect because we tend to have beliefs that we are really we stick to because of religion, because of um, whatever the organization that you that you you belong to or that you came from. You, we we get stuck with those beliefs, and and I, we cannot imprison what reality can be. That is something that I've, I I came to realize. We, we can't lock reality in creation in to. A comfort level. We can if we want to, but that's all you're going to see, as I said. So we have to look at what our boundaries are. And there's generally fear, as you mentioned before. We are, we are very fearful of the unknown. We're very fearful of anything that doesn't fit into the scope of what we believe. And much of what we believe is based on programs and what somebody has um, given us, has programmed into us as um, as, as, you know, a set of conditions to which we will run our lives, to which we will operate, to which we will, again, believe. Now we can go back to the significance of, of this. Why is it so necessary to examine that part of you? Why is it so necessary to, to widen your perception? Well, you go to quantum physics and what does quantum physics say? It's the observer. It's the observer that affects reality. You can't observe something without affecting the outcome. You are observing reality into existence. This is how everything is existing, is because we're observing it into existence. Now, how, whatever the observation is, however it manifests to us, is going to be based on what? Our perception. Um, what is our just, perception based on our belief? Our uh, reality. Absolutely. Your belief system is the foundation upon which you're creating your life. And that is, to me, the most profound thing. That's the reason why I say I don't give step one, step two, step three. I say look at what your perceptions are. Look at your belief system. Begin there. And, and you have to have a desire for more, not a desire to package it so it's neat for you and it's comfortable. How much do you want to know? Do you want creation to unfold to you without limitation? That's something that you have to look at. And that's where you begin to expand from. And then you commit to that, um, that process. So that's what I say.
1: And not a paragraph goes by, Sonia, where you don't touch a nerve. You talk about duality and the fact that the game is coming to an end. How and why is it coming to an end? Is it because of the enormous level of... Of awakening and the fact that maybe, just maybe, we're becoming familiar with the quote-unquote script.
0: Yes, it's it's you know, and again, this is what's so funny. It's like you 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 write, and then you learn more, and then you expand. The game was when I wrote that about the game coming to an end. Yes, I did see it based on um, the awareness process that was coming into play. Um, people expanding. But at the same time, I also started to realize that the game will come to an end for the individual, for those who are in that space to allow the game to come to an end. It doesn't come to an end for everybody. Why? It's the same thing I said before. Because it depends on where people are in their beliefs. And, and even if the game came to an end and change right now, or yesterday, Um, if you are locked into a belief system, you would not even see that the game came to an end. And, And one reason why that is, because creation, again, is set up in such a unique way that past, present, and future exist simultaneously. It all exists at the same time. So, regardless of what it is, there is a point in time where... Everything is. Everything exists. The past exists. Then, meaning what you what you believe things to be. If there's where you're still, your belief system is still there. Then you will be part of that belief system. And Does that make sense? You will always be there because everything yes. exists simultaneously. So there is a reality that is always going to be there, no matter what we think. We think that it's all going to get torn down. Well in one way it does shift. It doesn't mean that there isn't possibly a point in time based on that person's consciousness where they're not still living that experience. Now, you might not be living it because you've chosen to what? To move forward. You've chosen to expand. And those are things that I started to recognize as I started to understand more that it really comes back to the individual. The individual represents the, the entirety, the, re, the individual represents the whole, and so the individual must unlock his or herself. And this is a grand opportunity if one is ready to do that. But do not, do not be surprised if a great many people are not ready to do that. Don't be surprised. Just focus on yourself because, they, again, it goes back to many people think that, the whole world everybody will shift now what I always like to point out too is that one we can't see the whole world so I I do get a little trippy with it but you know when you listen to some of the stuff I'm saying you start it it makes sense you start looking at it no the only thing that we have to allow us to, to, to believe that the whole world exists as it exists is images and pictures we never see the whole world at once we just You don't see the whole world at once. What we see is a slice of the whole world, meaning what you interact with, the reality that you interact with, the town you live in, the people you interact with, the job you go to, that's the only slice of the world that you ever see. Outside of that, what you see are images either on television or through movies or through pictures. You never see the whole world at once. This whole thing gets rather interesting in terms of what we, what we believe, what we are conditioned to think. If one would stretch our, your mind, if you would really start stretching your mind, you would scratch your head and you start to really think about yourself. You're like, what do I really know? I even ask myself, how do I know that I like a specific color? Um. How do I started asking myself because I wanted to see, I wanted to try to get to an authentic me that wasn't just based on the external um, suggestions and stimulations. stimulation, uh, and it's everywhere around us, and I don't think we realize how much influence we have in terms of the external, the external world that helps us shape what the world, what the world, what reality looks like for you, I don't think that we really pay attention to that. Well, I started to pay attention to everything. And at one point, it becomes sort of like a a blank slate because here you are and you're recognizing all of this. Now it's an opportunity to stand, begin to stand in your power. You're standing in your power and you're allowing that more expansive part of yourself to really come in and to really begin to change and direct um, your life, to put you in a a new direction outside of or beyond the programmed reality that we tend to, you know, most of us tend to operate in.
1: We only see a few trees of the forest. And I think it was Robert Morning Sky who told me this story, I don't remember exactly, but he said that there was a, a a native person, I think it was in South America, who had never been out of the rainforest. So he was surrounded by trees all his life. But anyway, he was taken out of that forest and at one point he was digging to a clearing and uh, an open field and all of a sudden he saw, I don't remember the animal, maybe something like a buffalo, some big animal mm-hmm. in the distance. And uh, he told the people, how in the world did you shrink that animal? Because he was far away. And he, could, he had never seen an animal far away. So that was his perception. That was an aha moment, wasn't it?
0: Right, absolutely. And that's how we operate. You know, we'd say, we, we think that's funny, but it goes back to the library that I was talking about before. That wasn't part of his library of acceptabilities. And so that was part of our library of acceptabilities. We know what, what a buffalo looks like. We know what a dog looks like. Yeah. It, it, and, and typically, a lot of these things in our library is part of the, um, the human um, genetic uh, pool, the human genetic uh, library. So there are some things that are now encoded in the human um, gene pool in that library. Of things that are uh, naturally going to be acceptable, so there are some general things in there. Uh, but then we also go ahead and we operate within the confines again of our own personal uh, limitations. And so that's why we don't see much of what you know the, the our brain is exposed to, and our brain picks, our brain sees everything, but we only see certain things. So that's why when we see things like. Um, what we would call, uh, what's, what's the word, like a, I'm going to use the word ghost, but things that are not normally part of our third dimensional reality, everything that does not exist in our third dimension for us becomes very bizarre and very frightening um, because it's just not part of the library, that, that not part of that, that boundaried space um, that we operate in.
1: That's why we call it paranormal because we can't understand it.
0: Nope, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's just so much, just so much, and I've just gotten. I I always say I've just gotten more and more out there. The more I have allowed myself to see, is the more I'm going wow. (laughs) I'm going wow, and you realize just how much you don't know. You know, just how much there is to discover. It's just this endless process of discovery but the beauty of it is that you are unveiling and unveiling and and it's like the veil is being removed from your eyes more and more and more and more and you you get an opportunity to see more not only do you get to see more you get to be more than you've been told that you can be i mean i did an interview with dr david anderson um uh, sometime last year and And he's a physicist and and I said to him, i said you know david is it isn't it possible that there really aren't is no such thing truly deep down as the laws of physics, but that's only based on about ba- the boundaries that we have set for what reality can be isn't it, isn't it? And he said to me he says, You're absolutely right so to me, that was like one of the biggest things when I started looking at that. I thought, are there any are there any laws scientific laws per se, or is everything just sort of allow of unfolding for us according to the expansiveness of our perception, and we see that every day with what science is discovering or even what we as individuals are discovering The more we allow ourselves to see, the more we let go. Uh, or stretch our perceptions a little bit more, it's the more creation shows itself to us. Now, is it that creation is changing? No, creation is what it is. It's us that's encountering all the possibilities that creation can be. And and to me, that was another very freeing thing, because I'm realizing, wow, so I get to see as much as I allow myself to see of what creation can be. But if I limit myself and I say, well, no, this is not possible. Creation can't be, you know, this cannot happen. Then, then you know what, then that's where I will live. I will live in that wall, in, in within those walls until a hundred years from now. And this is typically science, how science operates until a hundred years from now, maybe even a thousand years from now, it, it will be time and the scientists will come along and, will have discovered something that we said was an impossibility and this is how this all works
1: you you mentioned dr david anderson is that the time travel david anderson you're talking Uh about okay okay just making sure Mm -hmm. well you say that humanity exists under a programming of subservience to those who have appointed themselves caretakers man is enslaved and imprisoned emotionally spiritually and physically Are you saying that we human beings are no different than a computer? We install a piece of software in a computer and the computer will perform according to the code? If that is the case, and my brain is a hard drive, Mm -hmm. I want to format most of it and install a program that can truly help us reach our full potential. How do we do this?
0: And again, that—that's doing that, which is exactly what I'm talking about, yes. Doing that is based on everything that I said before. Without that perception shifting, you're not going to override anything because you have to come into an awareness. It's like the computer has to come into an awareness of what's possible in order to override, exceed those programs. But if you are operating in in a degree um, less than or equal to the programs that you have, you can't change it. Does that make sense? You, sure, you can 't do anything with it you 're just going to be stuck there, so you have to see the possibilities to begin with and start to tap into more of these things, as I always call it hacking yourself because it is everything is designed like a computer program, and um everything about reality and you know the technology that we have today and our computer uh, systems and all of that uh is designed off of a more you know a more expansive um Um, expression um, of that, you know, the cosmos, it's all operating on these cycles, and it's all very much like a computer program that kicks in, that's how cycles work, you know, they kick in at a certain time, they go through or go around, and they, you know, ignite another level or whatever the case may be, but the human body, science is looking at it in that sense now, they're realizing it's very much like a computer program, it's very programmable, and it's up to the individual to awaken enough or to snap out of it enough to begin to reprogram themselves. Otherwise, no. As I said before, the body is designed to operate off of programs. Why? Because typically when you're in these bodies, when you come into these bodies, you, are, you have so forgotten that you have to have some programs. You have to have some boundaries. It's like you buy your computer and you have a set of programs on there. You come, it comes with windows, Come with some basic things. Right. Um, and it's the same thing. We come with some basic things. You have to have some boundaries for you. You need to know how to operate because you are not operating at your fullest potential because you that part of you is you've disconnected yourself from it even though you're technically not disconnected but you're completely unaware of it. So we operate on auto. So the body operates on auto we operate on autopilot and that's what it's about yes it is about being able to recognize that and begin to override recognize first of all that you can override those programs you got to recognize one that they are nothing but programs programs are what There are there's some boundaries to them and then you wake up from you wake up to that realization and then you take it to the next level the next step and then you take it to the next step of okay I would like to begin to shift that, change that. And I, and I talk about all of the things about time and aging and, and all of that. So I, I've really gone into a realization with the whole programming concept that we can hack into and we can override all of those things, but the system is set up to allow us to operate based on something. it's got. we've got to have something. But when the individual rises to a certain level of awareness, you start moving beyond the stage one human experience. And that's what I mean by the stage one human experience. It's the automated self that operates within um, the programmed uh, reality, that set of programs. And then you can move beyond that and you start recognizing the boundaries of the cycles and time. And much of what science is saying... So I'm saying... Some of, I'm saying uh, mainly a lot of what science is discovering. But what I'm also realizing is that science contradicts itself as well. Because some things that I'm saying, they're not quite ready to see yet. But at the same time, they're still saying it. But they just don't realize that they're saying the very thing that I'm saying. They're only seeing one side of it, they're seeing one angle of it. So I'm seeing the possibilities. I'm seeing, and you go back to David Bohm, David Bohm that said, mm-hmm. the universe is at heart but a phantom. You go back to the, um, uh, the aspect uh, team of, of physicists with that, the experiment with the particles, when they realized that, you know, the, the two particles, no matter how far apart they were, they could, you know, they could communicate. And then they realized they weren't two different particles. They were one and the same. They were one and the same. So we go back to now a realization that what? That there is no distance. There's no such thing. Distance is an illusion. Distance doesn't exist. There's only this moment. There is no here. There is no there. It's just the illusion of distance. And if distance doesn't exist, technically, then there is no time. Then time doesn't really exist because time is based on distance. Time is measured. It, it's, it's a measurement of space you're, you're measuring. But on one level, it doesn't exist. But on another level, it does exist. It exists for us to have the experience. That's what we call real. When we refer to the word real, what's real and what's not real, real I've defined as your realm of focus. That's why it has the same word in it. Realm has the word real in it. Real is simply our realm of focus. Whatever that realm is that that focus is on, then it will shape itself according to what we need to experience. And, of course, in order to experience the physical world, we have to have captured moments, captured moments. So two, three hours, 24 hours, whatever you want to call it, is just a captured moment that looks like this ongoing thing for us, but it's a captured moment, a flash that we end up being able to have that moment of physicality, the wave and the particle. When well, nobody's observing it, it's a wave. When we're observing it, it's a, it's, it's a particle. We start looking at that. You know, you start looking at the dance that's going on and we start to begin to understand more. We start to allow ourselves to see more, to be more. You put it all together. And you start saying, wow, okay, I start seeing how this is possible, how I've actually been creating my own reality. I see that my life is based on stories. A story, everybody has a story. Everybody's living by a particular story. And then out of that one story that you're sitting on, you've got, you know, you've created two or three other stories in terms of how you live your life. And you live, whether your story is, You've always been – we use the word victim because everybody is familiar with that word. Either Mm -hmm. you've always been a victim or you've always been a martyr or you've always been whatever it is. That's the foundation you sit upon and then your whole reality and all the people you meet and all the places you go, all the things that you end up dealing with sits on top of the foundation of your story. That's what we need to understand and your story is based on whatever your belief system is you know whatever your belief system is then of course your perception goes out there and forms your the world as it as it's going to be defined for you now there's i call it your private uh, reality or private universe even though we we are operating collectively and we see we see reality we think we see reality anyway the same way because there are some base Base conditions, as I mentioned before, but at the same time, we each have our own unique version of reality. We have our own unique universe, and nobody really gets in there into your own private world. You have this private reality, meaning you have um, um, a, a blueprint um, of what you know reality is going to look like for you, and that's how you're experiencing everything in your life when you have patterns you know why do i always have this happen to me why does you know why do i attract <laughs> these people because you have a specific story from which your personal universe is built and just because you come in contact with everybody else it doesn't mean that you're living that same the same common experience no you're only coming in contact with the people you come in contact with based on your story they play Absolutely. a role The characters come in and they play it out for you. So you have to look at what the pattern is. What is my story? And that's how we have an opportunity to change it because we are attracting everything we need to support that story.
1: I used to, well, I still have a slogan on this show, the programming in our minds, one guest at a time. But I think I like better hacking our minds, one guest at a time. You know, we have people like Sonia Barrett, who's, more or less, a virus scanner in our computer, in our brain. And you give us some open source software that allows us to cooperate and, and, and be part of the one as individuals. But you say that the purpose of this journey has been to explore who and what we are. That is exactly the purpose of this show, Sonia. I want to explore who we are, where we come from, where we're going, and what is our purpose in existing. Have you found the answers to those questions, or is this a journey? and not a destination.
0: Yeah, I, it's a journey. I I mean, I think, the for me, the simplicity of it was that creation just is like a child. Creation just wants to be all that it could be. This is simply it. it creation just wants to experiment with any and every potential that it could be. And it's endless. The, the potentials are endless. We are then... That, you know, what's been created, we are creation in this format having an experience that's just one of, just another angle, just another minuscule possibility of what creation could be. That's what we play out. We play out the possibilities. What we don't realize is that we, we, it's very hard for us to imagine anything or existing as anything outside of this physical world so because of that it sort of confines us once again to what you know what creation could be or what our purpose could be because the only purpose that you can see is this physical experience but this is just one small aspect of what you're you know of what you can be that's all you're doing you we are just Allowing creation to play out this possibility—that's all—and then you, we're moving on to other possibilities. For all you know, you are living a whole lot of possibilities at this time, but this is the one that your consciousness appears to be focused in on, and so that's all you can see. I like to say when um, people have said, you know, they're trying to find out what their, you know, what their purpose is in life. I think the one thing that for me that was very, very freeing is my purpose, everything that I'm doing in any given moment, everything that I've done before, everything that I will do is my purpose. My purpose is to just be whatever I am in that moment. To me, that was extremely freeing because then it doesn't disqualify anything else that I was or that I had experienced. We disqualify those experiences when we don't want them to have been part of our purpose, but they led you to this amazing realization that you have right now. Sometimes, you know, you've had some situations that were so severe. Like in my case, my, um, you know, my marriage. It was, it was the propulsion for me. It it, it forced me to go. Okay, what was that about? <laughs> What was that 14 years about? What was that? Mm -hmm. I need to understand. And so there was a gift in there for me, no doubt. So I don't disqualify anything. Everything about life is my purpose, whatever it is I'm doing right now. And I don't confine myself to any one thing. Okay, well, right now I've written these books and I'm doing what I'm doing right now. But I don't lock myself into, well, that's all that I am. No, that's what I am right now. I don't know. Maybe a year from now, maybe next week, whatever it is that's unfolding, I am allowing myself to be part of that flow and to not have to find comfort in identifying myself as this particular thing and staying there. That is the program of this reality. That is When I'm talking about a program of this reality from that, in that, from that aspect, I am talking about the, um, the rules of our world where we're taught in school and by our parents and you focus on one thing at a time and you only do one thing. You pick a career and that's all you are. That kind of programming. Uh, I taught my kids to be whatever you want to be. You can be more than one thing. You can experience more than one thing. However, you can maybe hone in on something and maybe see that through, and then if you feel like trying something else, then you try something else. But that's not how we're taught, so we end up locking ourselves in, and we must identify ourselves. That's why we must identify other people, because it's society says you must categorize. Now, I need to when I figure out what you are, now I know where where to put you. Is are you up there? as the social <laughs> right. standing puts you oh you you know you're a professional oh okay oh yeah I hang out with uh, such and such yeah you drive the Jag right. that's the mentality that we've got going absolutely empty it means absolutely nothing but that's the game so <laughs>
1: <clears throat> absolutely you're absolutely right and I have one question before we go into our intermission and now I'll get your answer on the other side but I want the listeners to to, to know what I'm asking you this might be a little bit controversial to, to some. You say religion has been the greatest system of control, devised to dispense and sustain the programming of fear. And folks, this is controversial because even those who are waking up may still feel the fear of doubting. Oh, what if I die and this is all true and I go to hell? I better not deviate. It wants us to remain domiciled. In, in And here's the word, again, limitation. Is this what keeps us inside the matrix? And I'll get you answer on the other side. So now tell me how to get in touch with your work, your websites. And I know you have a, a tour taking place very soon. Tell us.
0: Yes, um, a tour to Jamaica. It's uh, the first retreat that I'm doing in Jamaica. And it's called Celebrating the Cosmic Game. And it's actually scheduled for May 16th through the 23rd. It's seven days, seven nights. I have um, Grandmaster Roosevelt Ganey, uh, who is phenomenal. Who's going to be providing um, workshop and uh, Tantra Bensco, uh, that's regarding lucid play. It's all very different. What we deal with is actually is people actually working at consciously shifting um, reality. Some of the things that I've talked about here today. So anyway, so this is going to be. we're going hiking, we're going into the rainforest of Jamaica, we're doing many of those things. It's not just your it's not your stuffy um, (laughs) retreat, restricted retreat. This is about really experiencing and feeling uh, the environment feeling creation, feeling yourself and expanding. So that's why it's called Celebrating um, the the Cosmic Game. And so yes, if you want to find out more about it you can go to spiritinformed.com. and I'd also like to extend the Anybody who's listened to this show and wants to be part of it, I am going to offer a $100 deduction from the fee. Great. So,
1: And how about your books? How do people buy your books too?
0: Spiritinform.com. You can go there and there's lots of DVDs uh, and CDs that you can purchase directly from the site spiritinform.com. And I have other uh, lectures that are coming up. And uh, these are very unique. There's one that's coming up called Money and the Scarcity and Plenty Game. That's on March 12th. And the second one is this is a six-month workshop. We meet once a month um, teleconferencing. It's called Spending Your Life, Changing Your um, Perception of of, uh, Money and Time. Now, please understand that these, though they have the word money in it, it's being approached from a completely different perspective. Money is an energy. Money technically does not exist in the manner in which we think it does. Uh, it's very much like time, which is um, which is what this is about, explaining more of the science of uh, much of this. Time doesn't really exist, neither does money. What we're dealing with is a currency, which a current, which is why they call it um, currency. And the energy, it's an energy that actually flows from you, but it responds according to what our story is. That's how money moves.
1: And we have links on our website. I have to tell you, I'm enjoying every minute, and I look forward to segment two, which is going to be loaded with information. Sonia Barrett, the author of The Holographic Canvas, and two more books coming up soon. Folks, don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to The Veritas Show. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. If you're not a member, just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest of the show. As a member, have you subscribed to the iTunes link? Let iTunes download all segments of each new show automatically. There's a link in the members section. Just click on it and let iTunes do the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. Enjoy we
0: You are listening to The Veritas Show.